0: Well, good morning, Redeemer Church. Good morning. It is a joy to be with you. And my wife is sad she's not able to be here, as has sort of become our custom when we come visit you guys, somebody gets sick. So I don't think it says anything about you guys, but let me read for you our scripture verse for this morning. This is from Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. These are the words of God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come and worship you this morning. We pray now as we come to the preaching of your word that you would give us eyes, ears, and hearts to receive what your word says and to do so by faith. Father, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord, because you are our strength and our redeemer. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, for the sermon this morning, I'm going to, we're going to work through a number of different passages, so have your Bibles handy or your phones handy. Um, we're, I'm just going to layer a bunch of scriptures on as we go through this particular topic. And uh, so if you're taking notes, you can just jot the verse down and then uh, uh, jot down a couple other things as we go through. But um, I would encourage you to take, uh, take this list of verses that I'm going to give you and then use that perhaps in your week during your um, devotional times, uh, other times that you take to set aside and go to God's word to consider these things. The topic for this morning, the title for this sermon is Armed with Thanksgiving. Armed with Thanksgiving. For many years over the sink at my parents' house, uh, there was a sign that read, uh, live, love, laugh, and be thankful. I think when they painted the kitchen most recently, the sign came down, and I don't think it ever made it back up to the wall. But for many years, the sign was over the kitchen sink. Live, love, laugh, and be thankful. And this is... uh, if you know my mom, many of you do know my mom. This is a, a wonderful testimony of her and her uh, demeanor. One of the many gifts that my mother gave me was the habit of stopping and thanking God for five things, particularly when I was in a swamp of my own grumbling. Right, you know the feeling when you are uh, when things are going not the way that you want, and uh, for any of a number of reasons, and you just are. Um muttering under your breath or in your heart about everything that's going on around you, and you can't stop, don't want to stop, and on and on. And my mom would, um, in her wisdom, would see this and notice this about me as a young boy and would, and would confront me on it and say, Tyler, you need to stop, and you need to give thanks for five things. But I don't want to give thanks for five things. I can't think of five things to give thanks for anyways, And no, in her wisdom, no, Tyler, you need to stop and give thanks for five things. And what was, in in, uh, the way that God has structured the world, um, what was amazing about that is how effective it is. How effective it is to stop and give thanks when you're in the midst of complaining or grumbling about uh, things going on, circumstances that you you don't like, and how it changes your demeanor and um, what God uses it to do in your heart. There are many reasons for this, and we'll get into this as we go. As Christians, giving thanks really ought to be before our eyes, and on our lips, and in our hearts and our minds all the time. If you stop and think about it, this—I think—in the abstract, this makes sense. We understand that we're made by God. What do you have? What do we have physically that we have not received? And on top of that, not only have we been given physical life. We've been given uh, spiritual life in Christ. If we believe in Christ, if God has saved us, then we have the promise of eternal life, and why would we not stop and be giving thanks all the time, simply for that, let alone all of the other blessings that God does heap upon us? This is ultimately because uh, the, the reason why Christians ought to have thanks on our, in our eyes and on our lips all the time is because this is the only right disposition that we should have as creatures and children of God. There really is no other way to rightly be before the Almighty God other than if, if if we follow him and if we are in fellowship with him. There's no other place, no other way to carry yourself or to be, to exist other than in thanks to him. Secondly, as such, it is an effective weapon or antidote against our sinful hearts. Thanksgiving is, I think, as you read through Scripture, particularly in the New Testament, as you read through and you notice how and where the apostles bring out this idea of giving thanks, it becomes very clear, I think, that God has designed this as the prime, one of the primary ways to fight your sinful heart, to battle that sinful flesh that still remains, as Paul tells us. And so we're going to. Um, th- this is the two parts of my sermon. I want to talk about what Thanksgiving is. We're going to look at Scripture to tell us what, what is Thanksgiving? What is it for? What, why do we. Um, um, what, do, what are we to understand is going on in giving thanks? And then, secondly, um, how we're to wield it. If this is something that God has given to us, then it's something we are to use. How are we to use giving thanks? Um, and at the outset, I should uh, note that Thanksgiving is particularly in, in circumstances that involve suffering of any of a range of levels, levels of suffering. Thanksgiving is not a denial of those things. We're not denying the reality of the suffering that God has brought to us, but rather it is an acknowledgement of the one from whom those afflictions come. Is it possible to give thanks in the midst of affliction? You study the scriptures and it is clear, Yes. And, in fact, you probably know people that have gone through um, very difficult times, very difficult trials, and some of them are the most thankful people that you know. And that doesn't make sense if we're just thinking about this in human terms. But this is because what Thanksgiving is is an acknowledgement of who God is and an acknowledgement of what he has brought to you, that he is the one from whom everything comes. And so Thanksgiving, I think we tend to think of giving thanks primarily or first and foremost as a feeling. A feeling that, I, that, that comes up inside when somebody has done something nice for me, then I'm thankful. And this is a completely wrong way to think of Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is not first and foremost an attitude or a feeling. It is first and foremost an acknowledgement of our dependence upon God. Thanksgiving is, first and foremost, an acknowledgment of our dependence on God. And this acknowledgment, of course, does lead to actions and expressions of thankfulness. It does lead to feelings of thankfulness. It does lead to things like prayers and feasting and worship. But it is not, first and foremost, a feeling. And that's very important um, to, to understand. I, um, a really wonderful way to understand this, I think, is when you're teaching your little children to be thankful, to give thanks for something. Grandma comes over and gives your kids a, a gift of some kind and you instruct your children, what do you say? And they don't. And you say, okay, well, let's go take care of this and we'll, we'll come back and try it again. What are you doing? You're teaching them to give thanks whether or not they feel like it. Because it is something that they ought to do. When they have been given something, when they've been given a gift from someone, the appropriate response is to give thanks. And it doesn't, doesn't really matter how you feel about it on the inside. And what's amazing is also how God uses this practice of giving thanks to give you thankful hearts. It works its way in as well. But it's not primarily a feeling. That teaches us something about the way that we're thankful to God. It's, we're not primarily feeling thankful to God, or first and foremost feeling thankful to God. Rather, first we are, um, we are doing thanks to God. We are acknowledging who he is, acknowledging what he has given to us. And we are do. it's more of an act of, or a disposition, or a, a way we place ourselves before God, before it is a feeling. So what I'd like to do is look at a bunch of scripture references to flesh this out. And if this is all true, then we should also see that giving thanks really at its root is a form of worship. Give, the act of giving thanks is a form of worship. And as such, um, we should be careful with it. It's not something that we can do in the void. Um, there are lots of um, uh, feel-good messages out there that tell us to be thankful. But if they're not directing you to whom you should be thankful. And if thanksgiving really is rooted in worship, then to give thanks in the void, without the object of that thanks being God, in a sense, giving thanks that way really is idolatry. You you can't give thanks just in general. You can't give thanks in the void, as though there is no God to whom you ought to give thanks. Thanks must be directed, ultimately, to, to the Creator to the sustainer of all things. And if it's not, and if thanksgiving is an act of worship, then you're worshiping something else. This is important to, to see and to understand. So the first place we will look at is in Leviticus chapter 7. It is always uh, great we're going to have the opportunity in sermon to turn to Leviticus. Amen. And I know you guys, I know Pastor Mike, and I know he enjoys this too. But it's really good and really important because um, it's easy when you're doing your Bible reading uh, on your own or you're, um, you're listening to the Bible or you're following some sort of a plan to think, why in the world do I need to read Leviticus? <laughs> why does it matter for me anymore? And um, I think that just shows our Uh, proclivities to ignore what God has said, whether or not we see that it applies to us immediately right now. No, all of God's word is inspired. All of God's word is profitable for us. That's what Paul tells us. And so this is one place where we can see an application that actually does come to us where we might not expect it right away. So Leviticus chapter 7, this is in the middle of um, Moses laying out the different laws and methods for the different sacrifices that were given to um, Israel at Mount Sinai so Leviticus chapter 7 starting in verse 11 I'll, I'll read this for you this is the law of the sacrifice of peace offering peace offerings which the priest shall offer to the Lord if he offers it for a thanksgiving then he shall offer with the sacrifice of thanksgiving unleavened cakes mixed with oil unleavened wafers anointed with oil or cakes of blended flour mixed with oil Besides the cakes as his offering, he shall offer leavened bread with the sacrifice of thanksgiving of his peace offering. And from it, he shall offer one cake from each offering as a heave offering to the Lord. It shall belong to the priest who sprinkles the blood of the peace offering. The flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offering for thanksgiving shall be eaten the same day it is offered. He shall not leave any of it until morning. We'll end there. The thanksgiving offering that's mentioned here, you heard that term a few times, the thanksgiving offering, it's a part of what was also called the peace offering. The peace offering was given to God as, a, uh, as, as an act of coming back into fellowship with God. Preceding the peace offering would come the trespass or the sin offering, which was an offering that was done to make atonement, to, to pay for your sins. When you have sinned, you've become unclean And so you need to go to the temple in uh, in ancient Israel. You need to go to the temple. You need to offer a sacrifice of of the trespass offering so that uh, you can come back into fellowship with God. But then the act of coming back into fellowship with him was this peace offering, and often it was called a thanksgiving offering. The peace offering comes um, as part of this coming back into fellowship with God, and it's the only offering of the offerings that the priest would give, in which both the priest, the offerer, and God, all three together, partook of the offering. Some offerings, the whole burnt offering, everything is into the fire and is taken up to God. Some of it goes to the Lord, some of it to the priest. But this is the only offering where it's all three parties it's the Lord from the, the smoke of the altar. It's the priest as God's representative and as a mediator between man and God. And the offer himself also partakes of this offering. It demonstrates this real communion then between God and man. Uh, and not only is it shared by these three parties, but it was to be completely consumed. They were not allowed to leave any of it left over. You see that in verse 15. He shall not leave any of the offering until morning. Which means if you're offering an ox or a grain offering of some kind or you've got all these different offerings to bring, that's a lot of eating to do, right? Here, God is requiring feasting, right? God says, I want you to come back into communion with me, have fellowship with me, and the way that you do that is by giving an offering of thanksgiving and eat a lot, and have a big party. This is what God desires for his people. And so we actually see this in our worship service every Lord's Day. We celebrate this as fulfilled in Christ when we eat our Thanksgiving offering every week. Um, One of the names for the Lord's table is the Eucharist. Uh, It's just a Greek word. You might be familiar with that from Roman Catholic traditions. Um, But it's not something that the Roman Catholic traditions get to keep all on their own. It's, It's a Greek word that means Thanksgiving. That's what Eucharist means. This is a Thanksgiving table. We are coming into the worship service. We knelt and we confessed our sins. We offered our praises and prayers up to the Lord. And then at the end of the service, we come to the Lord's table. And what do we do? We partake at the Thanksgiving table. We give thanks to God because he has brought us into fellowship with him. So thanksgiving is part of worship, it's part of our being brought into communion with God, and it ought to be done accompanied by much feasting. Let's look at another passage, 2 Chronicles chapter 31. We're getting all the real obscure places in scripture right now. 2 Chronicles chapter 31 I'm just going to read one verse here. To give a little context, this is during the reign of King Hezekiah. King Hezekiah takes the throne after his father, who had led Israel into all kinds of idolatry and immorality. Tons of high places and temples and um, false idols were raised up during Hezekiah's Father's Day, um, including a lot of child sacrifice that was going on. Hezekiah comes to power, and Hezekiah is a faithful king before the Lord, and he does away with all of that. He tears down the high places. He brings back in the right worship of God. They celebrate the Passover for the first time in many, many, many years. And there's this great revival and reformation that takes place during Hezekiah's day. And so let's look at uh, chapter 31, verse 2. This is sort of summarizing and, and, and after this great reformation that has taken place. And Hezekiah appointed the divisions of the priests and the Levites according to their divisions, Each man according to his service. So he gave them all, assigned their duties to the priests and Levites, according to God's word. The priests and Levites are burnt offerings and peace offerings to serve, to give thanks, and to praise in the gates of the camp of the Lord. As part of the reformation and revival that goes on during Hezekiah's reign, the king appoints these priests to offer sacrifices and give thanks That's specifically noted here. Idols were torn down, right worship is established, and this is all accompanied by great thanksgiving, which, if we remember what we read in Leviticus, includes also lots of feasting. Thanksgiving is full of feasting because it is right worship before the Lord um, as we come into his presence and are in communion with him. Thanksgiving accompanies And it both accompanies and spurs on reformation and revival. We see that with what Hezekiah is doing here. Okay, another passage. This is from our our scripture reading earlier this morning. Psalm 100. Psalm 100. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. So the psalmist tells us to come into God's presence, to come with singing and gladness, to do so remembering that God is God and I am not. Know that the Lord, he is God because he's the one who has made us and it's not we ourselves. This is true with regards to our physical bodies, and it's true with regards to our new life in Christ. We don't make ourselves Christians. We don't make ourselves God's people. That's what God does. Just like he made you and gave you the breath of life, so he made you and gave you the breath of his Holy Spirit. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. And, and what's the response to this then? We're coming into God's presence. We're doing so, remembering that he's God, that I'm not. And then verse 4, enter into his gates with thanksgiving. This acknowledgement of who God is renders his people thankful. This acknowledgement of who God is is accompanied by great thanksgiving. Come into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. It's so important that the psalmist mentions it twice in this short psalm. Come into his presence with thanksgiving and be thankful to him. Why do we do this? Verse 5: For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations. Why, Why should Christians be a thankful people? It's not because everything goes right. It's not because things are really smooth and easy. It's not because, um, it's not, it's not because we're ignoring the reality of the sinful world that God has placed us in and the consequences of our own sin that we are dealing with. But rather, we're a thankful people because in the midst of all of that, we remember that God is good, that his mercy is everlasting. It, you can't get away from it. This is the God that we serve, and so God's people... Render him thanks. A few more passages here. Jonah chapter 2. As I turn there, kids, how many of you know the story of Jonah? Raise your hand if you know the story of Jonah. Remember, in, in the story of Jonah, God tells Jonah to go and preach a gospel of repentance to the city of Nineveh. And as he and when God tells him to do this, Jonah disobeys the Lord and says, "I'm not going to go preach to the Ninevites. Those are people that are persecuting my people. Um, they're a pagan nation. I don't want to go and speak to them and bring the gospel of repentance to them." And so he flees from God's presence and runs away and gets into a ship and he and he sets sail and he's sleeping in the bottom of the boat and. God brings a great storm and the captain and all the sailors are worried about this and they're terrified. These are sailors that are used to storms, but they're terrified by this storm because it's so huge. And so they end up waking Jonah up and asking him why this is happening. And Jonah takes responsibility for it. and He says, this is because I have disobeyed the voice of the Lord. And so he says to the sailors, throw me overboard and God will quiet the storm. So... They throw him overboard, and God raises up a great fish to come and swallow Jonah up. Let me read for you from chapter 2. I'm going to read this whole prayer that Jonah gives uh, because it's, it's really wonderful to meditate on. The Lord prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly. And so presumably this is on the third day. This is presumably the last day that Jonah is in the belly of this great fish. He said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction. And he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. And the floods surrounded me. All your billows and your waves passed over me. Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight. Yet I will look again toward your holy temple. Jonah is cast out by God. Everything's dark. He's in, the, in this belly of a great fish. Who knows how he uh, lived on during that time? How, how do you live in the belly of a fish? I don't think we know. Maybe Jonah died. Maybe God raised him back to life. We're not told. But in the midst of that, he says, I, I will look again toward your holy temple. In that darkest hour Jonah turns his eyes toward the Lord. The waters surrounded me, even to my soul. The deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the moorings of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Yet you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer went up to you into your holy temple those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. In other words, those who worship idols abandon their own hope for mercy. If you worship anything other than the true God as he has revealed himself in scripture, you are abandoning any hope. You are abandoning your mercy. But then Jonah ends with this. So, They worship idols and they forsake their own mercy, but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. This is what Jonah prays from the belly of the fish. Three days in. I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. How can you thank God from the belly of a fish? (laughs) Well, you can thank God if you remember that thanking him is not, first and foremost, warm, fuzzy feelings because because God is so good. It is, first and foremost, an acknowledgement and a remembering that God is so good. And he's so good in the midst of this fish's belly that I'm sitting in. But if it's true that he is good, if it's true that his mercy is everlasting, then I can give him thanks because he's the one that brought me here. Thanksgiving, the opportunity to give thanks is really a, um, a, a, a statement of faith. In those dark times, giving thanks to God is a profession of your faith. Who is the one that you are looking to? Another thing to notice here, two two other things. Um, This phrase, the voice of thanksgiving, shows up a lot in Scripture. Shows up many times in the Psalms. And I think that's helpful for us. We ought to give voice to our thanks. This is true, first, of course, with the Lord. We ought to thank the Lord regularly. Give thanks to him. And that means with our voices the songs that we sing with the prayers that we pray we thank him for our meals but an application from this is then if we're to do that with the Lord kind of following the first and second great commandment if I'm to love the Lord my God with all my heart and I'm to love my neighbor as myself then I'm to thank the Lord with my voice and I'm also supposed to thank my neighbor I'm also supposed to thank the people around us and as I've uh, as I've been considering this it really more and more I really do think this is just a side quick application, but I really do think in your, I'm ta- speaking primarily of marriages here, in your marriage, one of the best things that you can do toward your spouse is to freely give them thanks. Vocalize that. Thank them specifically. So often we take, uh, we take so much for granted and we think that things are going just fine or things maybe start to be getting rough, there's friction in the home, friction between you and your spouse. And, and if it's true, as we'll get to, that one of the ways that we fight our sin is by giving thanks, then this vocalizing your thanks to your spouse really is one of the ways to, to bring grace back into the home. Thanksgiving is something that you do in communion with God in fellowship with God. Don't you want to be in fellowship with your spouse? Then give them thanks. Um, I think... Um, Men tend to not give their wives thanks. Husbands tend to not give their wives thanks because they just take a lot for granted and, um, and don't think that they need to hear it. And I think the same is true for wives. You don't tend to give your husbands thanks because they're doing their daily duties, they're taking care of the family, providing for things, or maybe they're not doing things the way you'd like them to, but you take for granted all the things that they do do, all, of, all the ways that they do provide, and we don't, give, we don't give one another thanks. And I don't think there is... I, I think. Speaking as a husband, there is, I don't think, anything my wife can say that builds me up, makes me stand up straighter more than, thank you for that. Thank you for that. And I think it's true also from husbands to wives that you, you lift up your spouse when you thank them specifically. So if we're offered thanks to God, a reminder that that also informs how we treat one another. One more verse here Revelation as we're looking at what Thanksgiving is I'm sorry Romans chapter 1 this is in contrast to something that Jonah said Romans chapter 1 uh, verse 21 I'm going to back up to verse 20 I'm sorry I'm going to back up to verse 18 if they deny god are doing so without excuse they have no excuse for not acknowledging this creator because he has revealed himself and he's shown it to them he's manifest in them because they bear his image and it all of, and all of creation speaks to and shouts about this god so man is without excuse and yet verse 21, although they knew God, right? Although they could look around the world and see God, although they could see God in the, in, in, in the fact that they bear his image, they did not glorify him as God. They didn't do what Psalm 100 reminded us, that we should make a joyful noise and to come into God's presence knowing that he is God. He has made us and not we ourselves. But these men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness, they do not glorify him as God. And then this is uh, stunning, what Paul says next. They did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful. Nor were thankful. But they became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. Unlike Jonah, and unlike the psalmist, and all of those who offer right worship to the Lord, unbelievers reject God not because they could not know him. It's not that God is too far for them to know, it's not that they don't have the capacity or the opportunity to know God. Rather, they refuse to know him because they refuse to honor him as God and to thank him. This is what scripture teaches. Because of this ingratitude, they become fools. Their reasoning becomes futile, and their hearts are darkened. This, I think, shows us that ingratitude towards God leads to irrationality. That's what Paul's identifying here. Ingratitude towards God makes you stupid. Ingratitude towards God makes you irrational. To lack common sense, and this, of course, we know because sin is irrational. Sin is irrational, and sin, all sin, stems from ingratitude of some kind. We know this. Um, it's I think it's fascinating to think back to the Garden of Eden. Here, God creates man and woman, places them in the garden. Tells them to take dominion, to tend the garden, take dominion over the world. Gives them all kinds of things for them to eat and says, this one tree, don't eat from it. And the serpent comes and he tempts Eve. Did God really say you shall not eat the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Eve says, yes, he did say that. And he also told us not to touch it. And then the serpent says, well, God's holding back from you. He knows that if you eat of it, then your eyes will be opened. You will become like God. And Eve buys into the temptation and she takes the fruit and shares it with her husband. What if, what if in that moment, Eve had thanked God for all that he'd given her? What if Eve had thanked God, not only for all that he had given her, but thanked God for the command not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? What if Eve had said, and Adam with her, God, I don't know why you don't want me to eat from this tree, but you said not to, so I thank you for that. I thank you for that command. I don't understand it, but it's from you, and you are good, and your mercy is everlasting, and so thank you for that command. How could they have disobeyed God if they were giving thanks? We put this together with what Paul says in Romans 1, and we need to see that ingratitude, thanklessness is idolatry. Really, all sin is idolatry at root. I think we understand that. I think you guys know that. I know, again, I know Pastor Mike. I know how he preaches. So I think you know that. All sin is idolatry at, at root. But there's a particular way of seeing unthankfulness or ingratitude as at root with all sin. And really, ingratitude, thanklessness, then, really is idolatry. Because it's not acknowledging who God is. It's not acknowledging what he has done. So, right worship, or thanksgiving, leads to right worship. Thanksgiving is the right way we come into God's presence. It's that disposition of understanding who God is and who I am and giving him thanks for that. Often it's accompanied by great rejoicing. Other times it's accompanied by great sorrow like Jonah in the belly of the whale. But it's this disposition before God, understanding and acknowledgement of who God is. And so because of this, again, I think Thanksgiving is a key tool that God has given to us for fighting our own temptation, for fighting the sin in our life. And so I want to look at a number of other verses here for that. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. This is where Paul's writing to the Corinthians, uh, and he's writing to them primarily to answer some questions that they have. Um, because of, an, in part, because of a number of disputes that have arisen within different camps in the Corinthian church. There, there's lots of divisions and splits going on in the Corinthian church and Paul is writing to them to set the record straight in many ways. Part of the divisions were fueled by a, a particular pride that certain divisions had, certain groups within the Corinthian church had, because of the um, greater knowledge that they had received. They were puffed up because of this. They were proud because of it, boasting in the things that they knew. And so Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 7, keeping all of this in mind, what, uh, who makes you differ from one another? Who makes you uh, disagree with one another? And what do you have that you did not receive? What do you have that you did not receive? Now, if indeed you did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? Here he's speaking primarily, again, of the knowledge or the doctrine that they had received. What, what do you have that you didn't receive? Paul knows, because he's the one that gave it all to them. He's the one that came and planted the churches and taught them for years. And he says, what do you have that you didn't receive? Don't, don't act like you came up with this stuff by yourself, because you're so smart. No, I came and I gave it to you. And so if you, but if you, if you received it from me, then why are you acting like you didn't receive it? In other words, if you received it from me, why are you not acting thankful for it? Paul's, Paul doesn't mean thankful to him particularly. He means thankful to God. And that thankfulness would then diffuse the strife between these parties. We fight then against boasting and pride by acknowledging, in other words, thanking God, that everything we have has been given to us. We have nothing of our own to boast in. We have nothing of our own to boast in. Um, we, we've been given these bodies. We've been given the ability to use them in all manner of ways. We've been given the opportunities to go and to work, to raise families, to love and to laugh. We've been given these things. What do you have that you did not receive? And, and we tend, we're inclined often to think that um, I've built myself up. I've built this family. I've built this business. I've built, I've done these things. And, of course, there's a sense in which that's true, where God has given you the ability and the opportunity to do these things. But but you can't do any of it apart from the one who is creating and sustaining all things. And so what is there that you have for you to boast in? Nothing. There's nothing to boast in. Instead, our lives ought to be characterized by this joyful, thankful acknowledgement of everything that God has given to us. Again, in 1 Corinthians Chapter 15, 1 Corinthians 15 is Paul's uh, great treatise on the resurrection, on what's going to happen in the resurrection. Again, answering some questions from the Corinthians. But I want to see what he says here at the end of this chapter. Speaking of the resurrection, Paul says, verse 54, When this corruptible, this flesh, has put on incorruption, we've been raised to new life in the resurrection, our physical bodies have been remade, and this mortal has put on immortality, then, we shall, then, shall, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. And then Paul says this hymn, O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law, but thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul here, with this hymn that he gives, mocks death, laughs at death. But not because Paul is some stoic that doesn't care, not because he's um, sort of thought his way outside of the terrors of death. No, it's because of Christ's victory if Jesus has been raised from the dead, if Jesus died for our sins and was buried and was raised from the dead three days later, then Paul identifies here that there is no fear that we have of death. Christians do not fear death because we are thankful. Christians don't fear death because we give thanks for the victory we have in Christ. And that victory is something that we experience in part now, But we won't experience it fully until we're on the other side of death. And so we give thanks in the face of death. We are not afraid of it because of what Christ has done. And so, when faced with life threatening circumstances, physical threats, and spiritual threats, we fight fear and we fight despair, these things that tend to grip us and grip our hearts. The way to fight that, the way to resist that, is to give thanks. Give thanks for Christ's victory. Another passage, Ephesians chapter 5. Again, I'm, I know we're looking at a lot of different passages. My, my goal is to layer these on top of one another so that you have a, come away with an understanding or a grasp of what thanksgiving is and how to wield it against your own sin and temptation as we worship the Lord throughout every part of our uh, of our week. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 4. Actually, I'm going to back up to verse 3. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting which are not fitting. So all of these things, Paul says, It's not fitting for saints. It's improper. And he doesn't mean that because um, Christians are all nice and tidy. We've got everything ordered and it's improper like bad manners at the dinner table. That's not what Paul means. Paul means it's not fitting because you've been made a different person. You've been forgiven of your sins. Because you've been forgiven of your sins, it's not fitting to go back to them. It's not fitting when you've been uh, washed clean to go play in the mud puddles. It's not fitting because it's, ultimately, because it's ungrateful. It's ungrateful to go and participate in these things. Fornication, uncleanness, covetousness, filthiness, foolish talking, coarse jesting. It's unfitting for Christians to participate in these things because you've been made clean. Why would you go and give yourself to these things? It's ungrateful not remembering what Christ has done for you. And that's what Paul says. Instead of putting on those things, he says, but rather giving of thanks. How do you fight the temptations to covet? I think this one is, we see it pretty clearly. If I'm tempted to covet what my neighbor has, break that 10th commandment, why am I tempted to covet? Because I'm looking at what this person has, instead of looking at what God has given to me. I'm not, I'm not looking at what God has given, or maybe I am looking at what God has given to me, but I'm comparing it to what God has given to them, and I want what they have instead of what God's given me. That's ungrateful. That's unthankful. And so the way to fight that temptation is to stop and give thanks for five things. When, when you're tempted to covet what somebody else has, stop and give thanks quickly. Quickly. Give thanks, give thanks, give thanks, give thanks until no longer you desire what that person has. That's how God works in us. How do you fight that lust that grips you? Whether it's a lust for material wealth, whether it's sexual lust, whether it's a lust for certain relationships or an emotional bond with somebody, how do you fight that lust? You fight it by giving thanks. When that sin rears its head, you stop and you give thanks for five things. To put it bluntly, you can't look at porn while you're giving thanks to God. I dare you to try. You can't. You won't. If you're really giving thanks to God, if you're really giving thanks to God, you can't give yourself to those lusts. This is God's protection for his people. He's given you so much, and so give thanks for it. But, it, but it's not enough for Paul to say it here in this context at the beginning of chapter 5. He says it again later on in chapter 5, verse 18. Do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, or be filled by the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. We're to be filled with the Spirit or filled by the Spirit in, in our singing, in our praising God. And Paul contrasts that with being drunk. With being drunk with wine, and that doesn't just mean wine, it means you know it's not it's not that Paul says don't be drunk with wine, but beer is okay. That's not what Paul means. Do not get drunk, but instead be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing, making melody in your hearts, giving thanks. That's what he says next. How are we to be filled with the Spirit? How does the Spirit fill us? By giving thanks. But it's pretty extensive, actually. Giving thanks always. Giving thanks always for all things. And again, it's not giving thanks in the void, not just ginning up thankful feelings, but rather it's giving thanks always for all things to God, the Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. How do you fight that temptation to be controlled by something? Whether it's alcohol or other forms, other drugs, other things that you can't not do. That grip your sinful flesh and you can't let go of. You fight it by giving thanks. That's how you be filled with the Spirit. By giving thanks to God the Father. Father. Turn a couple pages to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4 verse 6. 6 and 7. Paul says, Be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. Are there anxieties and worries in the world? In your life? There are. There are worries, there are things that that concern us. And Paul knows that. Paul had many himself. In fact, Paul is writing this when he's saying, be anxious for nothing. He's writing this while he's chained to a Roman prison guard. Waiting to find out if he's going to be released or executed or... And this comes after he has been nearly drowned several times, beaten and left for dead outside of cities, chased out of other cities, imprisoned several times. Did Paul have some worries in his life? Absolutely. But this Paul says, be anxious for nothing. Instead, in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. We fight anxiety with thanksgiving. We thank God as we bring our requests to him. We don't just wait to thank God when he answers. We've seen this actually over and over. We've seen this with Jonah. He prays to God from the belly of the fish. And he he doesn't wait until he's vomited out of the fish to thank God. He thanks God from the belly of the fish, from that deep darkness. He gives thanks. Paul says, give thanks while those anxieties are going on, while those worries are, it seems like they're surrounding you. Give thanks to God with your requests. And what follows from this, verse 7, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, The peace of God, which doesn't make sense in your circumstances, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Interesting here, I think, also to see that we have this connection between giving thanks, offering our prayers to God, and peace that comes from it, just like we saw in Leviticus, where we come and we offer our thanksgiving offering to the Lord and enter into peace with him. And again, this is not in any way making light of your circumstances. In any way making light of the trials that God has placed you in. No, this is, again, this is coming from Paul. This is a man who knew trial, who knew affliction, who knew physical affliction, who knew spiritual affliction, who knew the abandonment of friends. And it's this Paul that says, no, don't be anxious, but rather make your requests known to God with thanksgiving and what will come from that is peace that guards your heart in the midst of it all there's one other psalm I'd like to look at and then one psalm and then one more verse to close with psalm 69 again I think this is particularly helpful for giving thanks in the midst of trials and hard circumstances Psalm 69, this is a psalm um, where the psalmist multiple times in the psalm uses this language of drowning. He says, God, the floodwaters have come up over against me. These waves are crashing over me. I'm drowning in the billows of the sea. This This is a cry for help in the midst of real darkness, real terror. Real trouble. Psalm sixty nine, starting in verse twenty nine. But I am poor and sorrowful. It sums it up pretty well. I am poor and sorrowful. Let your salvation, O God, set me up on high. Again, like Jonah, he's looking to the Lord in this darkness. I will praise the name of God with a song and will magnify him with thanksgiving. But the psalmist hasn't been delivered yet. God hasn't answered his prayer yet. The psalmist has been saying, my enemies are all around me. They're pursuing me. I'm toast. I'm drowning in the waves, God. I'm poor and sorrowful, yet I will praise you with a song and magnify you with thanksgiving. I don't know where this is going, God, but I'm setting my eyes on you. And because I know that you are good, and I know that your mercy is everlasting, even though I can't see it now, I can't feel it now, I will give you thanks. Because I know who you are. And so then, last, you don't need to turn there, I'll just read it to you. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Paul closes this letter to the Thessalonians saying, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. How are we to rejoice always? That's an impossible command. We're to rejoice always by praying without ceasing. And in everything, giving thanks. Because that's God's will for us. His will for us is that we rejoice always, that we're able to rejoice always by praying and giving thanks. So how do you become a thankful person? Thanksgiving is this right um, ordering of ourselves before the Lord. Thanksgiving is this worship of God, remembering who God is and who I am giving thanks to him in the midst of all circumstances. But how do you do this? How do you put on thankfulness? Because it's often not natural. We have to teach our kids to give thanks. We have to teach ourselves how to give thanks. It's something that does need to be cultivated and practiced. It comes as a gift and it comes as grace, but it is something to be practiced. And so start by practicing. Start by practicing when it seems like it doesn't matter. Practice giving thanks uh, when, when you're in that state of grumbling. Kids, again, this is a wonderful application for you. When you're tempted to whine and complain, stop. Give thanks for five things. I do this with my kids all the time. And it is amazing how that changes one's demeanor. Stop and give thanks for five things. Because it forces you to remember that you've been given so much. Stop and give thanks for things that you practice by giving thanks for things that you would never think to give thanks for. I would assume that almost everybody in this room took a shower this morning. Did you stop and give thanks for the fact that you can turn a nozzle or pull it out or push the buttons, whatever it is, and whoop, out comes water. Just, just like that. And not only that, you can make it hot or cold or right in the middle or both at different times during the shower. Did you, did you give thanks for that? That's amazing. When was the last time you stopped and gave thanks because God gave you these things over your eyes that they just kind of open and shut all the time. You don't really have to think about it and it keeps your eyes nice and moist, cleans them, sanitizes them. They've got these amazing hinges on the sides that really just kind of work on their own. And how many times do you blink during the day? Do you give thanks? How many breaths have you breathed in this service and how many of them did you give thanks for when was the last time you gave thanks for your toenails not really sure why we have toenails but when was the last time you gave thanks for them right how much what do you have you have not received and so we need to practice this we need to practice giving thanks when it doesn't matter when we think it doesn't matter because then we've got we've exercised those muscles You need to exercise those thanksgiving muscles because you'll need them. This is what God has given you to fight sin in your life. Godly thankfulness is not fake cheerfulness on the one hand. It's not pretend. It's not this sort of Pollyanna uh, worldview where everything's just fine and so I'm giving thanks all the time because it's all nice and sunny. Um, That's just false. That's just lying. So let's not do that. That's not what we mean by giving thanks always. And on the other hand, it's not a sort of stoic coldness where I'm going to grit my teeth and say the words, thanks to God, because that's what Christians do. No, it's it's neither of these things. Rather, it's an alignment of ourselves to God as our creator. You can weep while you're giving thanks. You can sing psalms and rejoice while you're giving thanks. We've seen both. Right? The psalmist, I am poor and sorrowful but I'm going to give thanks to you, Lord. Jonah, in the bottom of the, of the fish's belly, I, can give, I will give thanks to you, Lord. I'm going to turn my eyes to you. And then Psalm 100, come into his presence with thanksgiving. Rejoice, sing loudly with glad hearts. Thanksgiving covers all of those things because it's a right view. It's an alignment of ourselves to God as our creator and our father. We thank him because he is in control and because we believe him. We believe by faith when he says that he works all things together for our good. And if that's true, and it is, then I can give thanks always for everything to God in the name of Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Father, we thank you for your mercy to us. We thank you for the gift of salvation that we have through your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the life that you have given us as your creatures and the new life that you have given to those that you make your children. God, teach us to be a thankful people. Arm us with thanksgiving so that we might wield it by faith as we walk in the works that you have already prepared for us even this week ahead of us. In Jesus' name, amen.